I guess I better get going. Sure. Why not? Scripts are good. Who needs a script? We'll just wing it. We'll just wing it, wing it, wing it. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Todd Fredericks, Associate Professor of Family Medicine or Primary Care. I have no idea what our name is now. They've changed our department name because they want to, I don't know, they want to be more integrative. I don't understand it. I just wait until the memos come in. And usually what I do is I wait until someone says, hey, your name block is wrong, and then I then I change it. And so I, I'll just say I'm still a family practitioner, and I'm an associate professor with tenure at Ohio University. And you're probably wondering why Todd didn't keep up with the workflow uh, for releasing on Monday. And he's releasing on Wednesday. I mean, what gives? I, I was priding myself on keeping a very good rotations release schedule. This is a potpourri update for uh, rotations. I got a ton of content to edit, but I have been a little busy. So I've got a little bit of a few things to cover. Let's just let's just start with that. Um, and I'm going to put everything in the show notes so you can watch it, you can review it, you can learn from it, and I think it'll be helpful. So let's talk about uh, the most current thing that has happened. Yesterday, uh, President Nellis, um, our, uh, the leader of Ohio University, sent out an email that said, hey, we are not going to have students back for the foreseeable future, basically until the end of March is what it turns out to be, because of coronavirus. And almost immediately, I started getting these sort of texts and emails from people saying, well, what are we supposed to do? How, where, where are we going? And first of all, like, I'm not in administration, so I don't know what to, to ha- what's happening. But I am a person who deals with mass casualty things and preparation for natural disaster. And I have a call in tonight for a DOD, Department of Defense, update brief uh, through our chains in the medical, medical department in the Army. And uh, so I know something about it. So people started asking me. And one of the first things I said was, listen, when you make a, a, a broad sweeping change, like, hey, students, don't come back from spring break. Oh, by the way, Ohio University, thankfully, is on spring break right now, which is great because it, the impact for this first week of, or two of coronavirus is minimized on the population. But when, when, when an administration does something like that, that doesn't come willy-nilly. That, that comes after a considerable amount of thought about the overall impact on everybody concerned. Athens, as a community, is in a cycle, and that cycle looks something like this. We generally have two semesters of about 20-some-odd thousand students in Athens, and then we have a summer and a Christmas break that doesn't have any students. So local businesses are dramatically impacted. I mean, Chipotle, right? Uh, Wendy's uptown. Local business people who are used to having this sort of cyclical, predictable um, economic thing going on in Athens suddenly have a basically what amounts to a month of no students in town. And the university knows that. Ohio University is not a trivial place, right? And they have to take all that in consideration. But I think rightfully so and smartly the president of the university said let's let's shut down ops uh as far as students being here that doesn't mean we shut down the university uh one of the things that's happening is there's now an adjustment to do um video teleconferencing or online classes and keep the learning going which is awesome in my mind one of the things that's always concerned me about the united states is um that we don't have robust civil defense in this country 
and I'm going to say that categorically. We don't have robust civil defense because the fact of the matter is, is politicians are dependent upon fear. They love fear to validate uh, their political positions. And Americans typically aren't very uh, uh, planning-oriented. And so what, what really in the perfect world would happen is the government would prepare its citizenry to weather uh, problems that happen in the world all the time. I mean, the thing that uh, that gets Americans so often is that we live in a really good part of the world to live in. We live in the proper climate zone to grow just about anything we want to grow. We don't suffer from uh, things like they do in Myanmar, where all of a sudden the monsoons come and half the country's underwater. We don't suffer from these things, and we don't suffer from pandemic disease usually. You know, you go to West Africa, Sierra Leone, Liberia, and they have an Ebola outbreak, it's, it's chaos. We don't have that in this country. Uh, and a lot of Americans aren't even sensitive to that. They, they're always con- decrying the social injustices or whatever going on. Um, it'd be really helpful if they all went to the developing world and looked at what those folks have to really deal with on a day-to-day basis. It would change their perception. Not that we don't have problems that need to be addressed in the country. We do. Not that we don't have issues that probably can be done better. But in general, we're really fortunate, right? But what we don't do is we don't prepare well for the Katrinas, right? The coronaviruses, the things that happen that can really damage uh, a society uh, if not managed properly. For instance, how many people listening to this or people you're familiar with have two to four weeks of food stocked up. This is not a hard thing to do, right? If you just have a basic rotation cycle, you understand how to move the pasta from one side of the pantry to the other, bring the canned food forward, that sort of thing. It's not hard to accumulate a month's worth of food, generally speaking. There are some people who have circumstances that don't allow them to do that right now, but generally speaking, society has enough bandwidth to be able to adjust for those folks, help them out if necessary. Most of Americans can have staple dry goods, staple foods. Do you know how to cook bean soup? Because you can buy bags of beans, which are a great source of protein, and they keep forever. And if you know how to make bean soup, you can live on that for a month. And you don't have to be out in society. We have really good services like, um, they don't call it ClickList anymore, but Kroger, where you can minimize face-to-face contact with people and still get your groceries. We have really good services like Amazon. They can deliver to your door and UPS and FedEx. Oh, Amazon frequently uses UPS, FedEx. The U.S. Postal Service, where you don't have to come into direct contact with people to actually affect business. And that's something that is a strategic uh, issue for the United States and what all Americans should be thinking of, well, what do I do if I have to, what we would call shelter in place for two to four weeks? How do I keep things going? How do we, how does society continue to work? And so I personally am pretty uh, encouraged by this decision, the right one, to engage in the most effective way to prevent coronavirus transmission, which is social isolation, um, and do it for at an acceptable period of time for incubation uh, accounting, and then reintroduce people back into society. Right, right now, all you know, we were wondering why haven't I? Why haven't I have a I have to go to a graduation at Ohio State University be, for their medical school because one of their medical students, I'm one of their mentors, and they asked me to come, so I had to get a gown. Well, where is it? Well, I know where it's at. It's made in China, right? So there's a delay in that showing up because of our just-in-time delivery systems, which is arguably not a great way to do things in some cases, especially with strategic resources. And 
it's coming from China. Well, China's been shut down for a month and a half, right? So we already know that uh, production is starting again in China. They have seen what they feel is the peak of coronavirus infections. They understand the disease process. Now they're starting production. Well, that will predictably come to the United States, but delayed because of the delay in transmission of that problem to us. We are trying to mitigate the damage that can be done. Now, people ask me, why would you shut down a university? Let me give you uh, just one example. I happen to work at a medical school. Across the street is a nursing school. We have a, a physical therapy school. We have all these allied health professionals. Now, they are gone on spring break. They are traveling on airplanes. They are in other populations we can't control. Let's say they're in Seattle. That's where their family lives. They chose to go to Ohio University, which is a really smart decision because I would use a great school. Well, what happens if that young nursing student is exposed to coronavirus, comes back to OU, and goes out on a clinical rotation to a nursing home? We already know that the elderly are adversely affected to a greater degree by coronavirus than the young. It's not a great idea to take your nursing student that may be positive for coronavirus, put them out on a clinical rotation in direct contact with nursing home patients in Southeast Ohio. That's a really bad idea. So the way you avoid that is Shut things down until the incubation period passes and the, the biggest crisis is over because these major deaths have occurred in elderly populations and among travelers. Um, and so this is a wise thing to do. It really is. This is how you stop disease transmission, especially viral disease transmission, because viruses are really awful things. I mean, they, they can really get out of hand quickly and you don't know you've got it until you got it because it's the doorknob. It's the, it's the surface that you touched at Starbucks. It's something that, you know, someone coughed or sneezed and you pick it up and rub your eyes and now you've got it. Okay. So I like OU shutting. It's uh, on campus, large population gathering operations down for a while. Very smart. It's also going to challenge us as educators about, well, what is plan B? I'm constantly talking to students about if you don't have a plan B or plan C as a physician, you're wrong. Everything you do, you have to have a plan B, a plan C, okay? You just have to. Well, what's the plan B for a natural disaster? It doesn't have to be coronavirus. What happens like we had a derecho? That's a weird name, but it means a line of thunder, a line of tornadoes that come across. It started out in Iowa, I think it was, and it ran all the way into Virginia. It wiped out our power for 10 days, nine days where I was at, but upwards of 10 days. Uprooted trees. It was a disaster out here, truly, and that's not hyperbole. What do you do? I mean, the gas pumps weren't working. What, what, what's your plan? What is your plan? Do you have five gallons of gas? Do you keep your car full? When you hit a quarter of a tank, do you fill it up to the degree you can? What is your plan B? That's getting people thinking. And it's going to get merchants and small businesses thinking. How do we effectively isolate in the workplace? And I'm going to give you something. Oh, you did a nice thing. And I'm not being self-serving here, but there were several experts, including myself, that spoke about this. You need to have a plan B. So that's, that's important. So just try to avoid the social media hysteria. The CDC is not engaged in a conspiracy theory to withhold information. Uh, was this a leak from a Wuhan province biological weapons laboratory that, you know, people on social media have suggested? Who knows? Doubtful. Like the problem with biologics is, especially viral illnesses, is once you release it in a world that travels a lot, you're exposed to it too. So unless Chinese really wanted to wipe out their elderly population, it's highly unlikely that they engineered a bioweapon and released it on the world, okay? Now, curiously enough, there is precedent for that. The Navy, uh, I think in the 1950s, did some work with submarines where they released flu uh, influenza virus in, I think it was San Francisco Bay, to look at the propagation of 
that biologic within a population. You'd have to look it up, but um, this stuff has happened in the past, but it's a really unlikely idea, given what we know from learning about these things, that anybody would be foolish enough to do that. First of all, uh, it would be, you know, they would become pariahs in the world. China's not in the business of becoming pariahs in the world. Why? Because they want to sell Todd a graduation gown. It's the bottom line. The Chinese have an emerging middle class. They're, they don't want to go to war with the West. They need us as a market. The, the, the Chinese government is trying to get out of the staunch you know, Maoist communism and go to something different because they've got this huge middle class that want flat screen TVs and, and, and automobiles, right? That's why I don't worry about conflicts with China other than in sort of these uh, brush fire regional places that they, you know, they want some silly island out in the middle of the Pacific and they're willing to do something foolish and... You know, I mean, that's a different discussion. I'm just going to say, though, that if it, don't believe what you see on social media. You can trust the CDC. And, oh, by the way, I'll put this also in the show notes. The Johns Hopkins has put together a great interactive map that will show you where uh, coronavirus is uh, right now. That came as a reference of all, from all places, a, a warrant officer aviator that, post, that I knew from Kosovo, that he actually posted it today on social media. And it was really a useful tool. So I'll put that in the show notes too. Let's talk about last week, AMOPS, Association of Military Osteopathic Physicians and Surgeons. That's why I was gone last week. I, put, I had to work Monday. I took off on Tuesday. I was immediate past president of AMOPS, the Association of Military Osteopathic Physicians and Surgeons. And now I'm a trustee for the organization. I was elected to that position. We had a great showing. We had 225 participants in the conference in Las Vegas, not the greatest of venues, but now lesson learned. We all know that. It's extremely expensive in terms of food. The rooms were cheap, but the food was outrageous. The venues were outrageous. Um, and not only that, but um, not very family friendly. So we're working on that. But the student participation was awesome. And we know that there are allopathic students that are desperate. Uh, their health professions scholarship program and student loan repayment program students in, in the active duty guard and reserves that want to have that kind of mentorship. And so AMOPS is quickly becoming a repository for junior officer development, not just among osteopathic medical students, but among allopathic medical students. We have a tremendous scientific program. The students did a wonderful job and the residents who brought their, their uh, posters to present. And we also had student DS, present, uh, DS presentations where they were invited to come in and present their work. Um, it's a great opportunity. I encourage any military medical student, allopathic or osteopathic working, uh, who are li is listening to this, or if you know someone, please encourage them to come to AMOPS. We want them all because we want all these junior officers, uh, as a senior military officer, we think of them as our legacy. We want to shape them, develop them, help them to get into mentoring relationships so that they can start meeting the people they'll work with for their career or who will train them in their residencies. It's a great experience. And for an attending, it's a great uh, re revisitation of uh, OMM and uh, looking at manual medicine and reviews. And it's also a great fellowship. It's great to meet your friends that you don't see all year round, and then you finally come together and you, you, you work together for this common goal of creating better uh, military physicians. So that was AMOPS, and uh, really happy about that. Um, on the way out, I, I would be remiss if I didn't talk to you about movies. So I watched um, three movies. Actually, I watched four. I had to watch John Wick 3 again because uh, I hadn't seen it in a while, and I just wanted to see it. So I watched that. Southwest, of course, now has free movies, which is awesome, on your phone. And uh, I really like that service of Southwest. I can't, I, I can't thank Southwest enough. You know, generally speaking, it's a bus. I mean, you, you get on, you have no expectations. If you're smart, sometimes you'll buy the early bird uh, check-in. Uh, and in this case, it got me a high B number, which is okay. What it got me was a seat. 
uh, that I could pick myself. I, I like the aisles because I'm a big guy, and so I like to be able to get out easy. And you know, my wife was actually had the flu in the last couple of days, so she we ended up with a, a middle seat open for us. So she was able to actually sleep most of the flight with some room. Um, I love Southwest. Uh, I don't get paid by them. Uh, they don't give me any swag, although I'd love it if they gave me swag. But they don't, and I like Southwest. But they have free movies. Okay, so I watched John Wick 3. I won't go into John Wick 3. John Wick 3 is what it is. It's not the greatest of movies, but it is certainly... an. In, John Wick is just this great anti-hero, right? Uh, Last Christmas. Last Christmas uh, is a good movie. It stars Amelia Clark and Henry Golding. And it's a good film. It, it, it's fun to watch. It really is. It, it's it got the typical plugs for the social justice stuff, which is, okay, whatevs, right? I mean, that's just the way movies are now. They've got to have their little, you know, cause celeb, right? So, but, but it's a good movie. And it basically centers around a young woman who um, is kind of recovering from uh, a heart transplant. And it was really good. I really liked it. Um, and Henry Golding did a great job in this film. And you may know Henry Golding because Henry Golding is also in a film that I watched. <laughs> uh, I watched... That's the third film I'll talk about, Crazy Rich Asians, which was a meh film, okay? It's meh. I don't think it was great acting. I don't think it was great anything. It was just, you know, B, B minus. But Last Christmas, great movie. Uh, definitely B plus. Fun to watch. A good message. A nice story. Great. Watch the movie Definitely Maybe with Ryan uh, Reynolds and Isla Fisher, which, um, oh, and uh, Elizabeth Banks. Um, and I forget the other uh, actress that's in there. Did, meh, meh, meh. I, it's bad. I shouldn't say that. But but basically, entertaining. Um, yeah, it was okay. I, I mean, it was it, it, it killed the time, and I wasn't disinterested in it. Definitely maybe is okay. It's a kind of an interesting story about relationships between a father and a daughter and trying to explain the complexities of life. I'm fortunate. I don't have a lot of baggage in my life. I, I've really worked diligently not to have baggage. It's not a great idea to have baggage. So I work a lot at not having baggage. A lot of these films are all about baggage. And so it may it resonate with some people who have had not as fortunate a life as I have of avoiding baggage. But I like Definitely Maybe. I thought Ryan Reynolds did a good job in it, and I thought, uh, you know, it's worth it's worth your worth your watch. Another B B minus film, Crazy Rich Asians. I told you, the name sounds funny. There's a few moments in the film which are good. Just think of um, a much less. Uh, uh, Oh, what's the movie? Hold on. Uh, Bradley Cooper. You could tell how forgettable these films are um, when I when I don't even remember half of them. Um, so if you guys go to IMDb like anybody else that does. And uh, Bradley Cooper, which who was in who's just awesome in uh, so many movies. I, I liked him in American Hustle. I liked him in Silver Linings Playbook. I have not seen Star is Born because I'm afraid of it. Um, and uh, where are we here? Come on, come on. The Hangover, okay? The Hangover. Crazy Rich Asians is kind of like The Hangover, right? In a little bit of a way. So it's, and it, it's just weird. 
it's just weird. And um, I haven't seen Star is Born. You know, that's funny. My wife found, I think it's in, is it in Caesars? The Lady Gaga little museum there? Lady Gaga is in that film. And um, I guess it's very good. I just know what the, how the ending is. I'm not ready for that yet. I don't. I had a hard enough time with the Titanic when they killed off uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, character because it didn't have to be done. I think they should reshoot the ending of that. But um, Henry Golding is in um, Crazy Rich Asians, and uh, he's good. He's much better in Last Christmas. He's much better. Um, so anyway, that's good. I'm going to watch. I, I, I got Knives Out. I hear that's pretty good. I'm going to watch that tonight with my family. Um, as I'm working on some other stuff here at school, uh, trying to keep up with uh, education. Uh, so w- we talked about coronavirus already. I'm, I'm actually working off a script. Uh, I did want to say one more thing about that. You, you got to understand how the herd works. And I mean that, the herd, right? And I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just the herd, right? There's a story of the wildebeests. I'm going to do a Frederick's Rules of Medicine when I start that series um, about the wildebeest, but you need to understand about the wildebeest. And what the wildebeest is 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 a little illustration I give to junior medical officers and and people in the military about how to behave in the military. And it reflects on my childhood with um, a show called The Wild Kingdom, Mutual Omaha's Wild Kingdom. And it was all as an animal show. And every Sunday night was Wild Kingdom. Uh, usually the Undersea World of Jacques Cousteau was on for quite a while. And then the Wonderful World of Disney. That was your lineup for Sunday as a kid. You, when you, if you're in your 50s. You just loved watching that. And, a fam- and your family, you watched. Wild Kingdom, uh, you learned about these things called wildebeest. Very ugly you know, bovines that run around uh, in certain parts of the world. Uh, mostly in the African continent. Uh, Sub-Saharan African continent. And... Um, and of course, the alligators or crocodiles in the in the rivers. Well, the wildebeest go in a herd, and they want to get across the river to go to the grass on the other side and graze. And I asked the people in the military, "Which wildebeest do you not want to be? Which wildebeest do you not want to be?" Well, you don't want to be the lead wildebeest, and you don't want to be the last wildebeest because those two are not going to make it. Right? The crocodiles are going to have lunch, and. Then, so we have this discussion about the herd. And then I always say, but there's a third option to be. So if you really want to be, you want to be the per- wildebeest in the middle of the pack, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a second option, I guess. It would not be a third, but a second option for a wildebeest to be. And you can be like me, the unconventional warfare wildebeest, which is I leave the herd. And I take a risk doing that. I'm going to go upriver two miles. I'm going to go where the crocodiles aren't attracted because of the herd. And I'm going to cross unmolested to the grass on the other side. There's a little bit of a risk in that, right? People don't like being outside the herd because it's frightening. It's scary. They, that's why they mass in cities. They feel more comfortable when they're surrounded by people and things. There's a group of us out here that feel much safer out in the rural hinterlands where we have lots of horizon to look at. and We can see things coming from far away. That can be metaphorical. That can be physical. But there are a couple ways to handle these things. My way of handling uh, problems like coronavirus are to get away from the herd, okay? Because the herd, generally speaking, isn't real smart about what it does. Case in point, buying up every N95 mask and a bottle of uh, Clorox you can find or toilet paper, right? There's no real need for that. But the herd doesn't think rationally. And once it starts, it becomes crazy. And then it causes all sorts of disruptions. For instance, you see people wearing masks on airplanes. Now, if they have 
a respiratory infection, that's probably a good idea because when they sneeze and cough, the droplets go on the mask and they don't just volatilize all over the place wherever they're at. So if you're sick, wearing a mask out in public is a considerate thing to do for other people. But if you're not sick, that mask does nothing for you. And the reason why, if you're dealing with a viral problem, and the reason why is because viruses are very, very, very small things. And I've tried to put it in perspective for people. The pores in one of those surgical masks are to a virus like your garage door opening is to a Yorkshire Terrier, okay? You're talking about uh, pore sizes and masks that are nowhere, nowhere near small enough to block a viral particle. So what happens is a person who's not got the, an infection is not masked. They're blasting it out with their coughs. As that stuff travels through the air, the particles volatilize and they become separated. And you're sitting there with your mask, breathing a little more aggressively because you're breathing through a mask, and you suck that stuff in through those pores of the mask and end up infecting yourself. This is not the case with something called an N95 mask or a formalized respirator for dealing with biologics because the pore size of those, the micron size of those filters are small enough to filter out viral particles. So when you see people working with Ebola patients, look at the respirators they're wearing. They have to be professionally fitted as well because if they don't fit right, you'll end up, the, the, the resistance of breathing through the mask will be greater than the resistance of the air flowing around the mask and you'll just suck stuff in from the side. So the mask is really there to catch big droplets from an infected person that's wearing it. But people are buying up like crazy. Like right now, we're having trouble getting N95 masks in one of the uh, roles that I play in one of my uh, occupations. Well, we need the N95 masks because we need to, if we need to respond to a major outbreak in a municipality, we need to reverse isolate ourselves uh, with a mask that will filter out viral particles from an infected population. Okay, it will work if you're infected or wear an N95 mask. You won't spread that stuff through the mask if it's properly fitted. But see, we will properly fit our masks. The average person in the herd walking around doesn't have a properly fitted mask is wearing a very expensive mask that probably isn't going to function properly for them. That's the bottom line. But they're buying them up like crazy. The usury um, and uh, exploitation of people who are now buying up hand sanitizer, the point where you're seeing hand sanitizer going for, you know, $20, $30, $40 a bottle. It's ridiculous, right? I would imagine you could still buy bars of soap. And if you self-isolate having a lot of soap on hand, just washing your hands every hour, regardless of what you do, washing your hands if you touch any surface before you eat, really good idea. You don't need the hand sanitizer. Hand sanitizer is really for people who are not going to be able to readily wash your hands with soap and water and who aren't real comfortable with the idea of how to manage a sink. That's the other thing. We don't build sinks for infectious disease control. You will notice that there are garbage cans next to the doorways of restrooms. The reason why that is is because if you're a smart user of a restroom, you realize that a lot of people don't wash their hands after toileting. In fecal-oral transmission, that means that they go straight to the doorknob. This is why inward opening bathroom doors are ridiculously stupid. They will grab the door handle with their E. coli-covered hands, and they'll open it. And then the next person that comes along grabs the door handle with their exposed hands, even after washing, and now has E. coli contamination. Well, that garbage can next to the door, door is for you to wash your hands, dry your hands with the towels, turn the faucets off with the towel, then go over and grab the door handle with the towel, open it, toss that towel in the garbage, and walk out with your hands unmolested by whatever garbage is on that door handle. Most of the people in the herd aren't real trained on that on that stuff. People like myself who routinely wear long sleeves out in public, coats and jackets, 
So we can use the sleeves to actually make contact with those handles so we don't do it with our direct hands. We immediately wash our hands when we walk into a, a shopping mall or we uh, do it throughout before we get anywhere near picking up stuff we might eat or sample. We're just compulsive about it because we're around infectious disease all the time. And so herds are not good to stick around. They really aren't. And, and it's a real problem for us, for civil defense. When you talk about urbanization, uh, there's people in my world that don't like that a lot because it creates a lot of, of load on society. And, you know, at the end, and I would just close with this, I've been going on rambling for quite a long time. At the end, this whole thing with uh, coronavirus hopefully will generate a couple of streams of thought. There are people who are unrepentant about their desire to have these open borders everywhere. They don't care about who comes in and out of a country. They have no, they, they just think there can't possibly be a problem because they default to the good. And they go up against people like myself who say, no, there are some bad things in the world. And it's not just disease. There's some bad people in the world. There are some bad influences that can come in. And if you're not careful about how you screen things, um, you will miss them. And then they'll get into your population and you got a problem. Uh, I don't believe in walls that don't have portals. I just believe that walls channel people better to portals so that we can then screen out the people who shouldn't come in and let people in who should come in, which are, generally speaking, most people who are just you know, otherwise uh, good-intentioned and they just want to come for work or whatever they're going to do it. But, but the reality is is that um, people that, that have a desire or an intent to do harm don't generally abide by laws. They need to, um, they need to be monitored and watched and controlled. Um, you could weaponize uh, a virus. And you could have someone that could come into your population basically as a human carrier of such things uh, with the sole intent of infecting as many people as possible and creating chaos and social disruption um, that would put an enormous burden and load on a society. That's reality. That exists out there. There are people who think of that stuff. I know that for a fact. Okay. And it's the job of governments to protect their populations against such threats. It's also the job of governments to protect their populations in times of pandemic disease. And that means shutting down ports of entry, requiring quarantine, requiring those kind of things, and doing it in a way that balances the freedom of movement that we all know and enjoy in the United States with the need for public health security. And that can be done in the United States very easily, actually. We have the resources to do that. So um, I hope that at the end of all this, what happens is people just settle down, take a big chill pill, Realize that if you don't end up in public school for two weeks, it's probably not fatal. And if you don't end up, if, you, if you're not in medical school for two weeks, you're probably not going to be an awful doctor. You're going to catch up. It'll be fine. If you don't go to your nursing classes, if you don't go to your sociology classes or your art classes or whatever in direct person-to-person teaching, you'll probably be just fine. Okay? Give administrators and planners adequate space. Quit, quit deluging their email inboxes with what do we do. Okay? Here's what you do. Food, water, shelter, get out of the rain, okay? You will be told what to do. So in the meantime, think about how do I shelter in place? How do I continue to do my work? How do I change my workflow so instead of going to work every day in a physical location, I can go to work where I'm at? And maybe it means going into the office at you know 7 p.m. when there's a low amount of people in the office, gathering up your work materials, going home and working on them and coming back and then distributing them through the internet system or, or turning in your paperwork, 
without having to have much human-to-human contact. It might mean that uh, employers have to stagger shifts in a way that gives more physical separation and space to people in large production facilities, if that's possible. Um, It probably is in most cases. It just requires thinking. What do we do to help people who have to be in contact with one another to reduce and mitigate um, uh, exposure? And it might mean everybody wears a mask at work. So if you're coughing and you have droplets, everybody, if everybody's wearing a mask, then it's, it, it is helpful, okay? But uh, that's pretty hard to do uniformly, and it's really unnecessary unless you're in some very specific areas that require people to work in close contact. I'm thinking of, say, a factory floor somewhere where people are literally, you know, just a few inches from one another and have to work. Uh, and employers having liberal policies about letting people work from home if they do have symptoms. And so symptoms currently are a fever and a cough. If you feel flu-like, you should probably stay home you know, body aches, that sort of thing. Um, I'll defer to uh, respective administrators' guidance, uh, public affairs officers' guidance, the CDC's recommendations, which are on the CDC website. Very, very useful. And hopefully everybody will settle down and start thinking about what do we do if something really bad comes, like the Spanish flu, the 1918 flu that killed 50 to 100 million people worldwide. What will we do in that case? How will we manage these things? Now, if it's a good thought process and it ends up with better civil defense than this whole uh, month of basically disruption of, you know, I mean, the American Academy or American Academy of Cardiologists, the AAC, I think it is, they shut down their meeting. American Association of Colleges of Osteopathic Medicine shut down their meeting. There's meetings being shut down all over the place because of the concern of one infected person coming into a closed body population for several hours on end coughing and exposing through surface contamination or direct respiratory inhalation a whole bunch of really important people uh, that need to go back out and take care of patients. You know, um, it's interesting, right? In, in the country of Italy right now, you know, basically they're going to saturate all their ventilators, right, with coronavirus patients. And what that ends up doing, because they didn't mitigate, they didn't tackle this early on, is it takes all elective surgeries off the table. So if you have, if your person has is scheduled for, say, surgery for, for congestive heart failure or some really bad heart problem that's time critical, you're not getting surgery. You have a ventilator to go on postoperatively. You may need to be on a vent for a couple of days. Well, if there's no vents, then what are you going to do? You don't get your surgery. That's the impact of not um, of not socially isolating oneself, right? of not being willing to go into quarantine in your home with your family, uh, sitting on your front porch, drinking a Diet Pepsi or whatever you do while you work on your computer from home, is that ultimately there will be people that get so critically ill that they chew up hospital resources um, and people who really need elective procedures can't get them done. So anyway, it's something to think about. Uh, I'm sure I've uh, triggered a lot of people by talking about this stuff, and I don't mean to. I just want to make you – I do it to help you think. And be thought thought provoking. Uh, myself uh, tonight, I have a call in meeting uh, where I'm going to learn a lot more about where DoD wants to be on this. And uh, then uh, the next few days to weeks, I'll be busy, uh, principally consumed with um, helping to manage and uh, prepare for a response on the military side, uh, if necessary. The National Guard may be needed to help some communities you know, get their food delivery done or to help them get uh, critical access to medications to, to run these kind of errands for people. And so that's one of the things the National Guard does that's wonderful for the country and why you should support the National Guard. And you should tell your congressman, look, 
the guard is the most important thing we have in terms of a military resource uh, in this country. So anyway, I'll leave you with that. And uh, so with that, uh, I bid you adieu. I should have uh, the next episode of Rotations up. If I don't get to it this week, I got stuff to do at the hospital. And and then, of course, military stuff. It'll come up Monday. I'm pretty sure I'll have time to edit it. So I uh, bid you adieu and uh, wash your hands. Okay, take care. Okay, uh, I had to do a quick disclaimer because uh, I just didn't want to... I, I, I forgot to take my Zyrtec D, and now I'm sniffling and sneezing. By the way, there's tree pollen in Las Vegas, which means another reason I don't want to go back to Las Vegas. Although, I will say this, plug for Toro University, incredible facility, great sim center. Okay. Opinions and comments expressed on rotations do not reflect the official or unofficial positions of Ohio University, the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, or the Scripps College of Communications. Uh, this episode of Rotations was produced by Todd Fredericks and hosted by Todd Fredericks. Uh, we also have it produced occasionally by uh, my colleague, Brian Plow. It was edited by Todd Fredericks, and our producer at large remains Nisarg Bakshi. We can't find him for some reason. I wish he'd show up once in a while. Rotations is periodically co-hosted by, co-hosted by a League of Champions of all things medical and a few people we pull off the street. Rotations is copyrighted, and while we welcome citations, tweets, Facebook likes, and other endorsements via word of mouth and social media, we reserve the right to all content. You may use Rotations content under the provisions of Creative Commons, but you cannot alter or edit the content in any manner without express permission of the content creators, and you must cite Rotations as a source of any content derived from the podcast do it we welcome any comments and you can contact us by emailing us at rotationspodcast at gmail.com tweeting us at at rotationspcast the letter p or by visiting mediamedicine.com slash rotations you can also get me at tr fredericks on facebook if you'd like or go to my uh, twitter uh place which is at medical cinema uh at professor plow or prof plow p-r-o-f-p-l-o-o will get you brian and uh with that uh the outro is done